Hello, Internet, and welcome out to Peak Happy Podcast. I hope everybody's having a lovely summer. Mine is proving to be pretty wild. June especially was nuts. I was able to achieve a lifelong dream. I've always wanted to table at a convention or a farmer's market, and I got to do that every Thursday in June, a Heber market on Maine. It was so exciting. Um, I got to sell my little knit dolls and art that I do, digital art and um, acrylics and watercolors, um, a book that I wrote. Uh, I wrote a novel. It has nothing to do with Pokemon, but um, the main character's name is Sato, so, you know, I have a bias. It's who I am. And it was really exciting. Um, I had a great time. I loved it so much. So hopefully I'll get to do uh, more of that type of thing next year. Um, I don't have plans at the moment for anything left this year because that, like, wiped me out. But <laughs> next year I, I do plan to make... Uh, to set aside more time for that sort of thing, so maybe you guys can come see me out in the wild at some point. Anyway, you're not here for that, you are here for Peak Happy Podcast, a show uh, about the Pokemon anime, going through every episode and getting all in-depth with people's character development. Um, and I, I go in order as best I can, um, sometimes episodes air out of order for whatever reason, or I have to go back and re-record episodes because uh, they got lost or the audio is terrible, which is kind of what I'm doing and trying to, like, put all the old episodes back on the feed after several of them are missing, and there's a few of them, like, say, our first episode, which <laughs> was recorded on, like, a crappy microphone and edited on Windows Movie Maker. Like, that audio it will bleed your ears. So I'm trying to see what I can do with that because I don't necessarily want to re-record it. I definitely have to re-record Movie 2 because it just doesn't exist. But today we're a bit out of order because in all my excitement in following Ash Ketchum and his pursuit of the Petalburg Gym, um, I missed out on Pokemon Chronicles. Which is a shame because uh, today we're going to go back and cover that episode of Pokemon Chronicles uh, and talk about a very special character. A gift that just keeps on giving to this podcast. Truly, I am so happy every time he deigns to show up. Yes, it is the character who thinks he's better than you and nine times out of ten probably is. The guy who managed to dominate and assure everybody of his superiority, becoming a legend in Ash Ketchum's life, despite the fact that they had never once had a Pokemon battle until, like, the Orange Islands. The guy who managed to keep his voice actor after the entire English cast got replaced. This, today we're going to talk about Gary Oak. Yes, it is Pokemon Chronicles or Pokemon Side Stories, however you want to 
however you want to classify that, putting the air back in Aerodactyl. And it's not a spoiler to say that, yes, this is the episode where Gary is the character we follow. We're going to catch up with Gary. And the last time we saw him, like, it's it's been a minute. It was the Silver Conference. He was proving some things to himself, and Ash was proving things to himself, and they were reconciling, and I was probably crying. And uh, Gary Oak ultimately decided that uh, he didn't need to be a Pokemon trainer. He didn't necessarily even want to be a Pokemon trainer. What he really wanted to do was be a researcher, and he kind of changed his career trajectory and went off to pursue that um, while Ash went on to the Hoenn League, and that's the last we saw of him. So before we get into the episode, um, I'm going to point out an interesting change between the English and the Japanese version. Um, I don't think it's terribly important to the plot, but I'm bringing it up because I do think it's interesting. Um... In the English version, uh, since this podcast is in English, that's probably the one you guys know the best, the narrator frames the episode um, to be kind of Professor Oak-centric, in that Professor Oak reminisces about his Pokemon journey, and the narrator talks about Professor Oak left the island so proud of his grandson and uh, eager to see what he did next. It, It just frames everything in that lens, whereas the Japanese version... Um, actually has Kenji Tracy doing the narration. And while all the Professor Oak stuff is still there, um, the end narration is like how Tracy views the situation. His friend Gary, his research colleague, for lack of a better word, Gary, and how Tracy um, thinks about it and feels about it. And I just thought that was interesting um, because I don't think any one idea is more right than the other. I kind of see the appeal of both. Like, to have it be from Tracy's point of view is a valid choice because Tracy is kind of our POV for a lot of Pokemon Chronicles episodes. Like, anytime something goes down at Cerulean Gym, Tracy is there to kind of be our lens um, into it. Not for necessarily every Chronicles episode, but it makes sense for this one because Tracy is a kid and Gary is a kid, and they are relating to each other as friends. And so the kids watching the episode are automatically going to see it through the lens of, I am also a child, and, like, my friend is also going through this. Like, it just makes sense for that to be the lens, but then again, it also makes sense to ha- when you have the familial connection there, and that does play a large part in the episode, to have the episode framed around kind of what Professor Oak thinks of this. And I don't know, I just, I think that's interesting. I think it just comes down to different directorial choices. But I thought I'd point that out. Again, it doesn't matter much to the plot because, again, Tracy and Gary's relationship is still there. Professor Oak and Gary's relationship is still there in the episode, no matter which language you watch it in. Um, But it's interesting to think that, like, two different directors or two different Uh, script adapters or what the case can see an episode with kind of two different sensibilities which is which is why we have portfolios and auditions and the like because different different creators and different actors and the like make a different story anyway getting to the episode proper let us break this down because a lot of things a lot of things happen um 
I'm glad about it, but this one's, it. it's a lot. So putting the air back in Aerodactyl, we open up on a port, not sure exactly uh, where. I, I assume it's kind of that nebulous south canto off towards the Orange Islands, Whirlpool Islands kind of just general area. <laughs> that that ocean where the boundaries are not always clearly defined. Um, anyway, Tracy and Professor Oak are headed off to A Island. Um, Professor Oak is rocking the shorts and summer vibes, um, but it's only sort of a vacation. He's on his way to visit his grandson, yes, but he's also visiting in a professional colleague-type capacity. See, Gary's doing research on this Seda Island and has discovered something, says they just gotta see it. But for all Gary tries not to ride on the coattails of nepotism, Professor Oak is still a grandpa. He's stuffed his suitcase with souvenirs and gifts for Gary. He's also planning to bring back some souvenir chocolates for Delia, which is sweet. Um, I don't consider that a romantic shippy thing, since souvenirs and omiyage can be like a big etiquette thing in Japan. Like, when I lived there, anytime I went anywhere, I was always stressing about it. Like, does this warrant bringing back a souvenir? Is this, did I go far enough? Which people do I bring them back to? My teachers, senpai, neighbors, random classmates? How close do we have to be? Like, it stressed me out probably more than it needed to. I also stress out about those things um, in America and Canada, these cultures that I know better. But, you know, if you want to add some Oak and Delia loving romantic interest on top of that, like, who am I to stop you? So, Jared, the research development assistant and part-time boat driver, shows up to pick up Oak and Tracy on our way to Seda Island. But lurking in the shadows, our old enemies Butch and Cassidy are plotting something. It's, it's been a hot minute, so let's get reminded of what exactly they do in Team Rocket. Butch and Cassidy report to Professor Namba, an evil Team Rocket scientist, and they're here to steal something, possibly whatever Gary's working on. We'll see. Speaking of, Professor Oak wants to know just what this is, but no surprises until we arrive. So the boat ride over is instead filled with reminiscing about Sammy Oak's Pokemon trainer days, while Tracy sketches a sea king. In Japanese, Kenji muses on how Seda Island isn't the first place that Shigeru went when he decided to become a researcher. He's already in this short time has visited many places and facilities before settling down here. So I'm curious to see what it is about this island that uh, captured his attention. But more importantly, let's talk about Tracy's quick hands. Like, we're watching him sketch at five times speed on a boat. What the heck? I mean, I guess he got a lot of practice sketching on a moving ocean while riding Lapras, but still, boy, he has worked hard for his skills. Anyway, we sail up to the shores of Seda Island, Jared's like, you're not going to believe what your grandson's done, which is probably not the first time Professor Oak has heard that. Thankfully, it's in a much better context, less, oh my gosh, what has my grandson done? So, before they even get to the lab, an aerodactyl emerges from the forest, and all three are terrified, understandably. An aerodactyl is a large dragon bearing down on them. Also, it shouldn't exist. It's extinct. It's all teeth and claws. Aerodactyl, though, uh, while it roars and is very scary, it ends up flying past them, thankfully, and two people in lab coats arrive on the scene. 
a woman with long hair named Dara. She's head of the research lab. And our boy, man of the hour, Gary Oak, who tucks in his shirt now. I'm so proud. He's excited to see Grandpa and Tracy made it, more excited that Aerodactyl didn't destroy them. Once it's assured that everybody's okay, the whole group goes back to the lab where things can be explained. Though our main characters don't know it, Butch and Cassidy are also here, ready to catch themselves an Aerodactyl. I don't know how they found out about this so quickly, or maybe they kind of, maybe they didn't know necessarily they were coming for Aerodactyl, they just knew they were coming for something. There there was some buzz in the scientific community but that something was going down on this island. Anyway, Gary, this child. Gary has decided to make the focus of his research ancient Pokemon. And just remember the last time Gary was around an Aerodactyl? Indiana Oak and the Aerodactyl of Doom Ash nearly got eaten. Gary and his cheerleaders dug up fossilized Pokemon manure. Well, along with that, Gary also managed to dig up some old amber way back then, which he has kept with him throughout his entire journey. Here on Seda Island, they're researching ancient Pokemon such as Ammonite, Kabuto, Aerodactyl, and they had a fossilized Aerodactyl egg. So when Gary arrived with old amber in his backpack, he tested the DNA, found it a match to Aerodactyl, and then he and Dara went full John Hammond on this project and were like, I bet we can bring a dinosaur back to life. Like you do. Which brings us to that oh-so-interesting topic, Pokemon science. Specifically the science behind Pokemon fossils. Like, it's hilarious to me that Pokemon scientists play by Jurassic Park rules. Like, where there is a fossil, there is a way. Like, we don't even need DNA at this point in the series. Like, at this point, at this episode in the series, it's still kind of rare to revive an ancient Pokemon via fossil. And also, while rare, a lot of these extinct Pokemon proved to be a little less extinct uh, than we thought as we uncover some of the deeper, more secluded places in the Pokemon world, which is fantastic. It would be nice if our world had some hidden places where our extinct animals have just gone to hide and thrive. That the dodos might join the rest of the world when we're less of a dumpster fire. That's where, like, we are in the timeline of the series. But, like, now in the present day, 2023, Sword and Shield and beyond, like, these fossils don't even have to be from the same Pokémon! Like, you will never convince me that Dracovish is a real Pokemon. I saw that scene. I do not trust Carolus. Ash is wandering around the world with Frankenstein's monster and won the world championships with that freak of nature. Like, I can't. <laughs> I was on board with all the Pokemon fossil nonsense right up until that point. But that thing is an abomination. What a science rot. I can't. And I will pin this all on Gary because, yes... Fossil nonsense went on before him, but darn it, Gary, you revived this Aerodactyl. You're the one who was like, yeah, screw natural law, screw everything, screw logic. All that follows is your fault. Congratulations, Gary. You are following in the proud tradition of Kanto scientists being complete bonkers lunatics. There is a direct line between you and that half-baked casserole of a Pokemon that Ash is training. I love that. I hate this so much. <laughs> anyway, back to Gary. He doesn't let Oak and Tracy praise him too much for defying death itself. 
and reveals that, like every Jurassic Park movie ever, the dinos busted out and wrecked stuff, which is why I love that franchise. I don't need them to be deep, though it's nice when they have a moment. But I show up every single time because for some reason I get a perverse joy from watching people continuously make dinos, which then break out and eat people. I don't know. I don't know why I love it so much. I'm always here for that roller coaster. And for some reason, my love of that kind of stupidity is tied directly to how I feel about Dracovish. It's a wild existence I lead. I love it, and I also just can't at the exact same time. Anyway, the Aerodactyl revived, came to life, despite all odds, and then destroyed the lab and busted out. Rather like Mewtwo, although I'd like to think Gary's a bit more honorable than Giovanni. Aerodactyl is fast and powerful. Gary and Dara tried to catch it, calm it down, anything, but they can't even get close. And that's when a new character appears on the scene. Someone who is not impressed by the great Professor Oak. And elicited the greatest expression I have ever seen grace Gary's face. This is Crystal. She's Dara's younger sister. Looks to be about Max's age, and honestly, those two should hang out. She's also a little smarty pants. But she thinks Professor Oak looks just like a plain old grandpa, which he is, but you don't gotta say it like that. Max will beat you up. Professor Oak feels a little miffed. Anyway, I say Crystal looks to be about Max's age. She's certainly drawn as if she is, um, but we'll find some stuff later that puts that uh, into a bit of question. Anyway, Crystal reveals that she actually found the Aerodactyl egg. Like, don't you grown-ups go taking credit for everything? And again, great reaction from Gary. One of the only times we'll get that expression out of him. And another instance where the age and status of characters Ash's age proves to be nebulous. Like, Gary is very clearly a kid. He is Ash's age. And all the kids in that 10-year-old group are all kids, frequently called kids, frequently labeled directly as being 10, but at the same time, they're often treated like adults, with adult responsibilities, and here Crystal is lumping Gary in with the grown-ups, which happens in the main series with Ash sometimes too. The one I can think of off the top of my head, uh, Go has a moment where he's like, yeah, I'm a kid, but so is Satoshi, and look at him. He stands on peer level with adults, because he's a trainer. Like, that scene specifically calls it out. And we remember from lore in other media that's often referenced or implied in the series, having a trainer license mean you can be treated as a legal adult, and at least in Kanto, you can get a license at 10. So it's kind of a neat little nuance. I, I kind of think of it as being around 18 to 21, or even a little past that, um, here in the Western world, where like, legally, yes, you are an adult, you are permitted to do adult things. Um, you have adult responsibilities, will be treated as an adult under the law, but people are still going to view you as a kid. Like, quote, actual adults are going to call you a kid. Think you as too young or more inexperienced or just in a different category of age, even though legally we are now equals. And it's even more pronounced in this day and age where, like, the typical milestones that we associate with real adulthood, quote, don't exist. Like... Say, we associate adults with buying a house or having a particular type of job or having kids. And like many of us adults now, 
are not doing that. So you get people like me at the ripe old age of 37, like, are they a real adult? Like, they're old enough, but they've always been old enough, yet they don't meet the criteria we use to, to bridge that gap between real adult and like legal like <laughs> it's a tangent it still kind of fits though because here in pokemon land we know humans age um or evolve the theory that i love uh somehow at least they get older sam got older we even have an assumed time frame for him we think he went from 10 year old bracket to aging grandpa in about 40 years i can't remember if that's explicit canon or just implied but we remember puka the pikachu and its trainer they also aged over a period of time um, we know there was a time when Ash and Gary were not 10, along with Go and Serena, and woo boy, there will be a lot of time to talk about that subject when they show up, because Go gives us a very specific timeline for um, Ash aging to become a 10-year-old. And yet, when Ash meets Go, he has been 10 for rather a long time. Um, but Delia, too, and Spencer, they've aged. We have photo evidence of that. And Brock's little brother, Forrest, also seems to have aged a stitch. Um, but all the kids in the 10-year-old bracket, we know, have been aging somewhat parallel to Ash. And at some point, it gets weird to think that Ash, Misty, Gary are all still 10. Like, there's a reporter that specifically mentions Ash and Go are both 10-year-olds. But all of Ash's journey is canon. 25 years of anime history, no matter how you condense it down, it's wild. And theories aside of whether this is a cultural thing and how the Pokemon world talks about age, or if Ash is literally 10 years on the planet, or if humans evolve from 10-year-olds to whatever Brock is, all that aside, it creates the same scenario I was mentioning earlier, where Ash, Gary, etc., all have a wealth of years and experience. They are legal adults. They have been through so much. It's impossible to put them on the same level as a child. Weird to put them on the same level as someone who just got their license. Like, see Ash and Casey, both technically still 10, but when Ash meets her, you can't put them on the same level. Like, Casey is clearly, quote, younger. She, she is clearly less matured but they are also not quote real adults they don't meet the criteria that we associate with real adults like say delia officer jenny etc but the criteria has shifted a bit because 25 years of satoshi and gary doing stuff has gone by now we don't know they tell us they're 10 they tell us they have pokemon licenses and they are therefore not exactly children but what they are is a nebulous gray area not quite an adult not quite a child, sometimes treated as one or the other or both or neither, and I just find it interesting to have it pointed out in this episode, both by Crystal lumping Gary in with Dara as a grown-up, Dara being clearly older, but also by everybody treating Gary as a research peer, even if, say, a younger one, a less experienced one, like he has, he has a grown-up person job, and Tracy viewing himself and Gary in that way, like, like that they are equals, but professional equals. It's, it is established that they're young, but in that nebulous college-aged way where you're an adult doing adult things with older adults, but everyone still also sees you as kind of a kid. It's weird. And it's weird that this is one of the ways Pokemon is most grounded in reality. Because speaking above to Pokemon science and fossils and the like, like, this is a world 
as I constantly point out, where they turn physical beings into particles of light and then put that light into a metal ball that can expand and contract somehow and also can be emailed through a computer. Like, the interpersonal relations of these research fellows at the lab is somehow grounded in reality, but we also have Gary just revived an extinct creature and is living out all Dr. Wu's dreams. Like, I'm sure the answer is just, hey, Anne, stop thinking so deeply about this. Um, anyway, luckily, Crystal is friends with all the local Pokemon. Um, she tells them to keep an eye out for Aerodactyl and to stop it if it tries to leave the island and, say, wreak havoc on the mainland. Another reminder that fossil reviving is not as common these days. The Lapras have to ask what an Aerodactyl is. They haven't been seen for many a generation, and it, presumably the Lapras aren't cracking open books and, and looking at pictures. So Crystal has to kind of mime that and describe it to them. The Pokemon all listen to Crystal very easily. Um, Professor Oak thinks she'll be a good trainer one day. Put a pin in that. We're going to circle back to that. Um, not that I think he's wrong. She obviously has a very great bond with Pokemon, but just hold on to that in reference to ages being nebulous. Anyway, Crystal and the lab research people are not the only ones looking for Aerodactyl. So are Butch and Cassidy, remember, and they do technically find it first. But Aerodactyl just kind of roars and blow them away. So good. Gary and crew have more time to try to catch up with it. And there's a cute little moment where Butch and Cassidy are commenting on how they recognize Aerodactyl from the drawing, since, again, no living pictures would be around, but it's way bigger than expected. And Butch is like, I told you those little markings beside the numbers meant feet. It's like, like, I don't know, it just really made me laugh. Like, I love how dumb they are, even though they keep trying to carry themselves as if they're smarter than Jesse and James. But while I'm laughing, Gary's getting down on himself, like, concerningly so, for Gary. We can count on one hand the amount of times Gary has done the low-confidence sad face, and frankly, we don't need our whole hand for that. It usually involves facing a Mewtwo or getting knocked out of the Indigo League. But this is a big moment for him. He was, like, a good competitive trainer, on par with Ash, and Ash beat him. Which, I want to clarify, was not why Gary chose to stop battling, necessarily. Like, he talks about it like Ash beating him was confirmation he was making the right choice. Um, and, you know, some proving some other things to themselves about their childhoods and the like. You can, There's a lot going on with Ash and Gary. But the fact stands that, in a very public way, Ash beat him and Gary stopped battling. And that's the narrative the rest of the world sees. Gary then goes into Pokemon Research, a field where his grandpa is famous for, um, something that I think probably gives him things in common with Koharu or Chloe, in that their whole life, they've probably heard, oh, your grandpa, dad is a researcher, so you must like Pokemon, you must be great with Pokemon, you must want to be a researcher too, you must know so much about Pokemon. I imagine, like Chloe, Gary probably chafed a bit of that, knowing, as we will, that he sometimes tries to distance himself from Professor Oak's name in in Sinnoh, so he's not, like, compared to Professor Oak and such. Um, maybe he got into gyms and such to rebel a bit, so he wouldn't have to feel overshadowed by Gramps, like, tried to follow his own path. 
and so that he wouldn't feel like he was just following what everybody expected of him. A bit of speculation, um, but it, it's possible that it fed into Gary's decisions. I'm going to guess, whatever the case, that none of that, your grandpa's a researcher, so you must also, like, want to be a researcher or know about Pokemon. None of that was helped by that little Ketchum boy down the road who is basically trying to be the Pokemon Whisperer and can't do basic addition, but woo baby does he know his Pokemon, and Grandpa just adores him. It's almost like they knew each other in a past life. I imagine for Gary, who wants to prove himself and be the best and find his own unique place in the universe and make his grandpa proud, that might have produced some insecurities. Which is what Gary says now. All he's ever wanted was to be the best and make Gramps proud. He failed at Pokemon training. Not really, but like, in his mind, he failed. He lost publicly, and more importantly, he lost the drive for Pokemon training. The passion and the love that he had for gyms and tournaments was surpassed by his love of research. And now he's failed at that again, again, in a public way. Like, he's royally screwed it up and just... Gosh, when I try to put myself in Gary's shoes, like, I get it. Because I've switched jobs before. I've definitely shifted my career goals before. I absolutely understand the feeling of having everyone's eyes and expectations on you and feeling like you failed, like being the oldest sibling. I always feel that like I have to be, you know, the best or at least better than all my siblings. If not, I have failed. And I know what it's like to make a big change and it feels like they don't all understand and feel like you're failing at that too. I've also had moments where like, whether by a conscious career change or other things in life like making me question myself or say a big depressive episode that where your life kind of gets knocked back to zero for a bit and you kind of have to build it up from the ground up and feeling like everybody's watching you and it's not good enough and uh like how it's almost impossible to put a situation into perspective at that point. Like you feel like your loved ones only see the side of you that fails. How could you think you were good at this? Why did you think you could do this? It seems out of character for Gary at first, but honestly, when you think about it, I, I think it fits him. Like, it's just that we haven't seen Gary express this very often because we're always following Ash. Um, but we know that Gary is always going through massive character development off-camera. He's far from one-dimensional. And the greatest regret of my fandom is that we don't have a series following Gary through Johto and Orange Islands, or from Kalos through Alola, like Dear Arceus in the Sky, Gary was up to stuff and having feelings we just didn't get to watch. We got a bit of Gary's inner world at the Silver Conference and the end of Johto, and this episode as well gives us a chance to watch and it feels a bit weird at first because Gary doesn't usually talk like this in front of Ash. Ash is not here. Grandpa is because Gary was so excited to show him his big discovery and make him proud and have some results for all his work and changes and some positive practical affirmation that he doesn't get since he stopped getting those physical validations of gym badges. Um, and Gramps arrived in time to see the lab in shambles and a rogue Aerodactyl running wild. I'm impressed here because all of that is true, but what Gary thinks he did wrong was not consider the consequences. Like, not just, I failed, I suck, but also, I didn't think through what would happen. 
if I brought an Aerodactyl back to life, all the trouble that could cause, people who could be hurt or impacted. And that's where my mistake was. And that's some real growth, I think, for Gary, that he recognizes that his ego and ambition and need to prove himself as the best sometimes leads him to rash or ill-advised actions. Professor Oak and Tracy reassure Gary, tell him not to beat himself up. Everybody makes mistakes. As Hannah Montana says, everybody has those days. And you know, your old rival wouldn't get so down on himself. Immediately, Gary's like, oh my gosh, Ash, how's he doing? Have you heard from him? Oh my gosh, these boys. Ash is doing pretty well, as a matter of fact. More proof that Ash does in fact stay in contact with his friends off camera. We just don't always see it in the episode. Ash contacted Professor Oak a little while ago. He's got a few gym badges and new Pokemon. Hoenn is, after all, the first region where Ash is really killing it. And since he doesn't have Gary to constantly compare himself to, like, Ash also feels like he's killing it. Although, if we're going to be fair, I think this is about the same trajectory he had in Kanto. I'd go to so far as to say Ash has maybe caught less Pokemon in Hoenn at this point than he did when he was in Kanto. Um, the difference is, I suppose, that Ash is winning most of his battles and is less of a hot mess. <laughs> anyway, Ash is thriving. Good for him. Gary's happy to hear it. But it also makes him compare himself to Ash and get bummed like, yeah, how does it feel, Gary? He wonders if he ought to have stayed on his journey, kept doing the things he was good at instead of trying something new. He doubts himself a little. Professor Oak reminds Gary that he's on a new journey. That means he starts at ground zero. He can't compare himself to the end goal, or even to Ash, who is at a different stage of his journey. A different stage of life. And what you learn on the way is just as important as the destination, Tracy reminds. Professor Oak says that he couldn't be prouder of Gary. Like a scene, it's sweet. The sentiment itself is not treading any new ground. Like, we have similar arcs with Ash all the time. But it's hitting me different somehow because this is Gary, who is always confident, or at least fakes it real well. And Professor Oak, who is so important in Gary's life in a male role model way that Ash isn't going to experience until, like, Alola. And Tracy, stepping up as Gary's professional equal, and thus friend, like knowing he has none of the emotional baggage that Ash has, that Brock and Misty have about him, like a sort of clean slate friend, if you will. And honestly, I can't remember a time when Gary's eyebrows have been drawing slanted upwards for so many scenes, like even him and Ash making up still had him looking like a smart aleck at least half the time. Like, I just, I love that we get to see different sides of this boy. I'm also interested that we get to explore, at least for a minute, like, Tracy and Gary's relationship to each other. Like I mentioned at the start of the episode in, in Japanese, um, this episode is narrated by Kenji. It's told through Tracy's point of view, which seems odd at first because we almost don't really think of Tracy and Gary as being friends. Like, we don't see them interact much in the main series, but as I was saying earlier, with, like, Tracy being kind of the clean slate friend, he may have heard stories from about Gary from Ash, but his actual time meeting Gary happened at the end of the Orange Islands, where Gary showed up with, like, an Eevee and a lobotomy and was very respectful 
to Ash and all sundry. While we don't know for sure where Gary lives in Pallet Town in the anime, if he lives in his own house with his sister or parents or whatever, or if he lives in Professor Oak's house, it stands to reason that Gary goes home occasionally and when he does is going to check in with Professor Oak, which means Tracy is going to see him in that capacity and Gary is polite to his grandpa. He also tends to be polite with other adults, other researchers. And again, Ash isn't around. He has no need to be mean to Tracy. So it's quite possible that Tracy, as Professor Oak's lab assistant, might actually get along really well with Gary. Like, they might actually be good friends. Another reason we need to have a series about Gary. Anyway, Crystal's uh, friends, the far-fetched Pokemon, come back from their recon mission. They've found Aerodactyl and lead all the humans to this big old mountaintop where Crystal found that fossilized Aerodactyl egg before. So Aerodactyl has come back to the same place. It's sleeping now. So the whole group, Gary, Professor, Crystal, Dara, and Jaden, all tiptoe to try to get close, which is very cute. This is adorable. But Crystal, poor child trips and alerts Aerodactyl to their presence. Aerodactyl roars and tries to flee, but Tracy, like, I feel this kid never gets enough credit. Like, I I don't think of him as the, the brave, reckless one, the rash one. He's like the calm, reasonable energy to Ash's nonsense, his muchacha, as Go would put it. But Tracy Sketchit runs up the side of a cliff and launches himself into the air to grab Aerodactyl's leg as it flies away. For science. Like, Tracy holds his turn a lot, but when he chooses to roll, he rolls a crit. To be fair, I think Tracy regrets it, like, the second he does it. Once he's clinging onto Aerodactyl and flying at an impossibly high height, now he's just screaming. He clearly did not have a plan B. Crystal does. Thankfully, she whistles for her Pokemon friends, the Farfetch'd, to go flying after Aerodactyl to kind of keep tabs on it. The humans follow on foot. Tracy's still screaming and asks if Aerodactyl can fly lower, at which point Aerodactyl looks behind and is like, oh my gosh, what are you doing there? It panics. <laughs> and it does fly low because it doesn't want a human barnacle any more than Tracy wants to be one, um, much as this ill-advised plan was his own idea. He does the equivalent of jumping from a moving car once Aerodactyl gets low enough and miraculously survives without injury, but uh, it's like, whoa, never doing that again. Should hope not, Tracy. While the gang is checking up on Tracy, Aerodactyl doesn't get far. A net explodes out and traps the Pokemon, grounding it, and Gary is furious. For all his faults with people, Gary has loved Pokemon. And his hatred of Pokemon poaching is a thread that will carry through the series. But when he asks who does this, Butch and Cassidy have no problems answering. They do their motto, and you know, I just gotta wonder what Giovanni thinks of his minions. I mean, Jesse and James have clearly bought into the company line, to the point where they genuinely believe, like, they know they're bad guys. But they believe that working for Giovanni will bring about a better world. Like, being bad guys will... Achieve Giovanni's goals, which will make a better world. It's reflected in their motto. They have a few um, lines in some seasons to kind of reemphasize that. 
even though they often like simplify it as just like, oh yeah, we're the bad guys, so we're gonna be bad. Like they have moments where they talk about why they do what they do and all that. And it's like for the glory of Giovanni because it will bring about a better world. And given the level to which our current world is on fire right now, like that sentiment is feeling a little too real, honestly. Um, but then on the other hand, you've got Butch and Cassidy who are also all in with the mission but are explicitly like we are evil and we do evil things to spread evilness because we want to be evil. Like, I don't think they give a crap about Giovanni's end game or like, you know, what it will do for society. If they do, it's because they believe it will mess society up because that's reflected in their motto. Both of these teams, both of these team rockets are so flamboyantly over the top for an organization that has made their bread and butter being covert. And like, team rocket agents are working everywhere. Your local Pokemon daycare might be a team rocket front. Meanwhile, Giovanni is just like, I don't care about lofty ideals. I just want money and power. Like, not to do anything, just for the sake of being in charge and untouchable. Like, it benefits him to have these Team Rocket grunt teams being so deluded, and their visibility does up the intimidation factor, which is the jam to Team Rocket's bread and butter. But also, like, he's gotta sit back sometimes. Like, what are you four idiots doing with those mottos spouting nonsense? Like, you're making us look like Team Galactic. Anyway, Professor Oak is unimpressed with the motto, and also gets Butch's name wrong. Gary is livid and ready to battle like you guys don't know the world of hurt you stepped into. Don't let his placement at Indigo fool you. Gary's Pokemon trainer skills are legend. Despite the lack of battling he does on camera, like he will wreck a mofo. He lets out Umbreon, who takes the opposing Houndour and Hitmontop to town. Crystal gets into the action by sending out an Ivysaur. So you can take out that pin now about Crystal. Again, she's clearly drawn like max age. She's drawn not being in the same age bracket as Gary, Ash, Misty, Serena, etc., etc., etc. All the 10-year-olds, Casey, Sakura, anyone who's like leaving on their Pokemon journey, Crystal is drawn slightly younger than that. And all of that made sense with her like befriending the local Pokemon. Someday she'll be a great trainer, but now she's sending out an Ivysaur from a Pokeball. So now I don't know what's going on. Oak said she could be a Pokemon trainer someday, as if she wasn't already. Now she's got a Pokeball, which is a Pokemon trainer thing. We have not seen a Pokedex, and that might be the clincher here. But again, she talked to Gary and Dara as if they were on the same level both grown-ups, quote-unquote, and not like she was on par with Gary, which she would be if she were a Pokemon trainer, if she were 10. So now I'm left questioning, like, is Crystal a trainer trainer with a Pokedex? Is Ivysaur Dara's? And since Dara is in the lab all the time, now Crystal takes care of it. Is it one of those kind of odd situations where you have kids with Pokemon in Pokeballs but they are not officially registered as trainers. That often happens in, like, gym leader families. It's weird, and I'll tell you now, never fully explained. At least not that I noticed. Maybe maybe there was a throwaway line in, like, the Japanese version that I missed or something that... Who knows? But, like I said, I, it doesn't appear to be addressed. And it's kind of grinding my gears because I like it all to make sense. <laughs> I think 
I think probably it's just that she is not quite 10. She probably doesn't have a trainer license, but she may. There are still ways to get a Pokemon in a Pokeball. It may be hers by way of gift, possibly from Dara. Whatever the case, uh, she does handle Bulbasaur well, which makes sense. She's been um, good friends with all the Pokemon on the island. She communicates well with them. It stands to reason that she would play with them and maybe even kind of battle with them a little bit. Um, Ivysaur's solar beam is actually what sends Team Rocket blasting off. After that, Aerodactyl is freed and it flees. But it doesn't leave the island. It doesn't try to fly across the ocean like everyone thought it would. The humans follow Aerodactyl's trail and ponder that. Gary has a stroke of empathy and realizes Aerodactyl is only a few hours old. If it has any memories or instincts from its time as an egg or whatever, this world is totally new to it and it might be scared. With this idea, everyone thinks over Aerodactyl's behavior like maybe it wasn't angry to find Tracy on its leg, just frightened. Maybe it wasn't angry when it destroyed the lab, just afraid. Even though Aerodactyl is so powerful, that doesn't mean it can't be frightened. An important lesson for all of us to remember. Professor Oak also pointed out that Pokemon don't always know how powerful they are. Which makes sense, because, like, um, Aerodactyl's powers is normal for them. Like, we, we all tend to assume other people can do the same things we do, think along the same lines, share the same worldview and experiences and abilities and whatnot until we encounter something different which is why growing up and expanding your brain is all about like learning that other people are having completely different thoughts and experiences than you are like a person i don't know raised in a temple of fighting monks or whatever is gonna have skills comparable to everybody else training they're not gonna think of themselves as powerful until they're sized up against someone who doesn't have that kind of training, and then they're going to realize they have power. And there's no reason Aerodactyl, newly born into this world, doesn't think that these human creatures can be as powerful as it is, and as powerful as any Pokemon it may remember from its time. If it does, still not sure how that works out. Pokemon science, ooh. You know, if these humans and Pokemon are not more powerful than Aerodactyl, because that exists too, and they all have the advantage of knowing where the heck they are <laughs> and, like, what this world is. Perception is everything. So how to calm Aerodactyl and let it know they're not trying to hurt it, it's safe, despite Butch and Cassidy being terrible ambassadors for humankind. They could try feeding it. That works great for catching Pokemon to feed it and prove you're a friend. But what does Aerodactyl, an ancient Pokemon, eat? Ash will tell you that they have a palate for human boy, though his experience may not be typical. Dara suggests they look at other fossilized remains that were found nearby the Aerodactyl egg, like the preserved seeds that were found in the same area. They might be remains of what Aerodactyl ate. So the gang goes back to the lab and investigates. Through the power of science, they identified the type of fruit grown from those ancient seeds, and Crystal knows where on the island some of that fruit grows today. She and Ivysaur go to pick some for Gary, but they don't rush to give it to Aerodactyl right away. Instead, they wait for the Pokémon to get hungry and approach the tree itself, confirming their hypothesis. And now that Aerodactyl's a bit calmer, and they know what food it likes, Gary decides to approach. But before he can, Butch and Cassidy return in their helicopter, riling Aerodactyl up again. 
Aerodactyl tries to do battle with the helicopter. Unfortunately, it does not go as well for it as it did for those pterosaurs in Jurassic World. Butch and Cassidy managed to nab it. So it's time for future Pokemon Trainer Crystal and retired trainer Gary to rescue Aerodactyl. There's a cute moment where Gary has his Dodrio jump up and use Drill Peck on the helicopter. Butch and Cassidy are like, oh my gosh, and Aerodactyl is also, oh my gosh. It's cute. Poor Aerodactyl, it's having a rough day. But this destroys the helicopter, and thank goodness Team Rocket grunts of all varieties are basically cockroaches and never die, because Gary has joined Ash's tradition of cold-blooded almost murder of Team Rocket. <laughs> Though given how the two of them react to Hunter J in the future, I'm pretty sure Gary is of the same mind as Ash. Like, if you're kidnapping Pokemon and it's to save the Pokemon, like, they are both prepared to murder that lady without a qualm. <laughs> but Butch and Cassidy are fine. Aerodactyl sends them blasting off once it's free. I mean, presumably, they're fine. There will come a point in this series where they just stop showing up, and I honestly can't remember when that is. I'll have to look that up. And one can only hope that's because they quit Team Rocket, and not because they blasted off to their deaths. But now that that craziness is over, the gang can resume Operation Get Aerodactyl to Trust Us. While Aerodactyl goes back to eating, Gary and Crystal get close, and then try to talk to it, explaining that they love Pokémon. They work with their Pokémon and take care of each other, they're friends, and they want Aerodactyl to be their friend too. This is backed up by Gary's Pokemon and all Crystal's friends on Seda Island. I think it's Umbreon who really sells it. It nuzzles Gary and earns a sweet smile back because I swear Gary will open up and be soft with Pokemon, but actual humans, who boy, there's a wall. Aerodactyl has a wall too, like it listens, but ultimately turns away from the group and goes back to eating. That's when Gary takes the fruit out of his pocket and approaches. Professor Oak is a little worried, like, Gary, I don't know. But Gary just tosses a confident look over his shoulder, like, I got this. That's my boy. I mean, when it comes to befriending Pokemon, Gary grew up with the best. So he approaches Aerodactyl with the fruit, and just offers it. Like, here, I wanted to give you this. And for a minute, Aerodactyl looks like it's gonna go ballistic. Everybody is worried. It's like, Gary, get out of there. But then Aerodactyl goes and eats the fruit right out of Gary's hand. In no time at all, Aerodactyl is friends with everybody on the island, eating fruit and playing happily and safely even with little Crystal. And also in no time, it's time for the professor and Tracy to leave. Gary turns to his grandfather and is like, maybe next time you visit, I'll have revived a Kabuto or an Omanyte. And Professor Oak is like, you don't need to go that hard to impress me, Gary. Like, I love that. There's lots of times in Indigo League where Professor Oak seems a little, lo not loopy, but out of, well, he is loopy, but like out of touch with what's happening with the boys emotionally. Like, I mean, he is just ragging on Ash at some points <laughs> and praising Gary to the moon. And then there's also times where he almost seems more invested in Ash's journey than anyone else's. And part of that is that they were still finding their way in the writing. It was supposed to be crack comedy most of the beginning. And part of it also is that we didn't often see Oak and Gary together, especially seeing them together without Ash. 
So I'm glad in this episode we do get to see not only Professor Oak and Gary in the same episode, but able to interact with each other as family without anybody that Gary has to, like, front for around. And we can see that Professor Oak knows exactly who Gary is. Like, he probably always has, and he knows exactly what he's dealing with. He knows that all of Gary's ego, and I'm gonna be the greatest, and I've gotta be the best, is just code for... Are you proud of me? Do you see me? Do I matter now? Oh gosh, please love me. And I think that Ash didn't see any of that until the Silver Conference, if indeed he managed to think that deep on it then. Like, I feel he's figured it out, um, at least by the time Go shows up, because he kind of he kind of suggests to Go that Ash, Ash gets what's going on with Gary. Um, but Professor Oak has probably always known and tells Gary now I'm sure whatever you do, you'll do well. I'm proud of you. And we'll see in future seasons, the precious few times Gary shows up, that Gary is always going to struggle with this a bit. Like Ash himself will point it out, he's always going to struggle saying his real feelings. He's always going to feel a bit uneasy when he's not the one everyone's looking up to, when he has to admit a vulnerability or stand in the shadow of something else, even if that someone is his grandfather. But in this episode, we get to see that Gary is willing to let himself go through that and to try and experience being the entry-level guy who screws up on his way to learning. And everybody knows about your failures. And to admit that he's insecure. I mean, again, the amount of time Gary is drawn with his eyebrows slanting up alone. It's like, who are you? I suspect Gary will continue to grow and change here on Seda Island. And of course, we're not going to see any of it. Won't even see the results of it until Sinnoh. Oh my gosh, why do they do this to me? <laughs> anyway, Oak and Tracy leave. Tracy gives Crystal a sketch of Ivysaur before they take off. And they sail back across the ocean, thinking of Pokemon and Gary and all the wonderful things there are to discover. And I really like this episode. I think it works on a lot of levels. Again, we get to see sides of Gary that we just do not get to see because of Ash. Because he, he and Ash just have a, a history and they bring things out of each other. But here we just get to see Gary being another part of himself. And I love that. I love, I love it when Gary can kind of be a little bit more at ease with himself and more content with himself. And um, I love that he's thinking about his, the consequences of his actions beyond just, I failed because the Aerodactyl broke out. But like, I failed because I didn't consider everything that could have happened and all the people that could be impacted by this like I don't know I feel like Gary is truly a wonderful character and I love him and he is the best in a way that is different from Ash's best and it just makes me happy to see him kind of come into his own a bit I also think this episode like works with several different relationships to Gary like you've got Professor Oak his family his mentor his grandfather and their relationship. You've got Tracy as, like, unequal, and dare I say, a friend. Like, it I doesn't, we're never clear on, like, if Gary and Tracy, like, form a real close friendship or anything, but, like, they clearly get along, and they treat each other with respect um, as to their professional journeys. But there's also Dara and Jaden, who are slightly older than Gary, that Gary is um, kind of looking up to and working up toward. He works with them, but he is, you know, obviously the junior. Um, and then there is also Crystal, 
who is very talented in her own right, but is kind of coded as being younger than Gary. And Gary talks very kindly and gently to her. Again, in a way that we don't often see Gary behave with other human beings. We'll see him talk to Pokemon like that, but heaven forbid, a human. So I just feel like this episode brings out so much in Gary that we don't get to see very often. And like my only criticism is like, why isn't there more? Why aren't there more episodes with Gary? Like to think that we had to pack everything Gary is into like these tiny little moments with him it just kills me because he's clearly got so much going on and so much writing potential and I, I do understand that sometimes with characters like Gary like by not having them show up too often it preserves a little bit of mystery I guess about them in the same way that like I don't know, in a shonen manga, like a fighter type character will refer to like their master as being like the greatest, the greatest. And then like that one, that one chapter where the master shows up and wrecks everything. It's like, oh, things going to go down. But like if the master was there all the time, like they kind of lose their power. And it's possible that like Gary fulfills a little bit of that role for Ash, like and maybe the writers want to use him a little sparingly. But, like, I still feel like he's he's got so much, does Gary. Like, every time he shows up in this series, I talk about him for, like, a freaking hour. But anyway, that is where I'm going to cut myself off uh, today for Gary. We will return next time with more Pokemon anime goodness. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on uh, Apple Podcasts your pod kickers, your pod bean, almost anywhere fine podcasts are downloaded, as well as pkppodcast.blogspot.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. This has been Peekappy Podcast. Gotta catch them all. <laughs> <laughs>